The RTS London Podcast. Hello, my name is Gary Pope. Welcome to an hour of insights and information exploring key case studies of content created and delivered by broadcasters, producers, digital providers, and online makers that responded to or reflected the COVID-19 crisis and how it impacted on our children. As life returns to something like normal, we're going to discover how some of the most brilliant content makers rose to the occasion, what they made, and how they achieved it. But before we go any further, I'd like to thank our sponsors, ALCS, the Authors Licensing and Collecting Society. They generously support the whole of the CMF events program, and we're very grateful for their support. And of course, it's an RTS London Children's Media Foundation joint event. So our thanks to both organizations for making this afternoon possible. So since it was a thing, children's media has been a, a fundamental part of growing up. And of course, stories, because that's really what we all trade in, have been told to children since well forever. This is, to my mind anyway, the most important and influential of all media. We have a responsibility, collective responsibility, along with the rest of the village, to raise a happy, healthy child. When last, the Children's Media Foundation partnered with the Royal Television Society for one of these events on January the 22nd, 2020, it was entitled, Are the Kids All Right? And actually, well, they were. There was a bit of angst around funding. There was a far, far cry from the time a decade earlier when there was much gnashing of teeth and gnarling and wailing as to whether Kids TV was going to survive at all. ITV had stopped commissioning and no one really knew what digital was all about. And then just a few weeks later on March 16th, the world stopped turning and, well, we know the rest. Children's mental health, children's socialization, children's education, children's play, they all suffered to what degree we know not, and maybe we never will. We do know that the usual run of things, the structure, routine, the familiarity that children need was massively disrupted. The last 583 days since the first lockdown began, I'll work that number out myself, I've turned received wisdom upside down. It's a, it's a worn, worn trope that children's media is ever evolving. It's the nature of the beast. But the seismic change to almost every aspect of our children's lives, and particularly the acceleration of digital engagement, have amplified this evolution. Perhaps most tellingly, for me at least, the role of public service has been radically redefined in the last 18 months. I'm not sure public service as we knew it on January the 22nd, 2020 still even exists. Personally, I think something far more powerful and pervasive is emerging, and that has to be a good thing. So I'll leave that hanging as I say enough of the context setting and turn our attention to our guests, with whom we will explore what happened over the last 18 months in the world of children's media, how it adapted, how it evolved, how it rose to do exactly what it should do and provide looking glass for our children that accurately reflects, inspires, and reassures them. And I make no apology whatsoever for saying that here in the UK, we have the best children's content creators in the world. And the speakers we have for you this afternoon are part of what makes that true. Each has a CV that could fill a very good book, and all of them did things over the last 18 months that perhaps were inconceivable before March 16th, 2020. So we have Lucy Murphy, Director of Kids Content, Sky UK and Ireland. We have Louise Bucknell. Hello, Lucy. We have uh, Louise Bucknell, VP. It's like Celebrity Squares, this, isn't it? We have Louise Bucknell, VP 
programming kids via from CBS Networks International, UK and Ireland. We have Helen Fault, Head of Education and Newsround BBC. Hello, Helen. We have Mooney Moat, presenter and YouTuber, along with Greg Foote, science presenter and producer. Hello. So we're going to structure this very simply. Uh, each of our speakers has a short video presentation, chat kind of thing that we're going to hear a little from, a little bit about their lockdown journey, and uh, then we're going to have a lovely conversation. You can all post questions if you'd like in the chat, and I'll try and curate those and get through as many as we can. So enough from me. Let's hear from people that have really got something to say. So Lucy, should we should we start with you? Hi. Hello. So I think you might have a little video first. I have got a little video, and this is something that when, um, as Greg said, when the world stopped spinning last March, we had to think very quickly. And I think all broadcasters, all of us here on this call today, and a lot of people watching, we all learned a new word, and that was pivot. <laughs> and we did a lot of that in uh, 2020. And we had to very quickly acclimatize to the fact that our audience, our children's audience, was suddenly at home. And not only were they at home, all of their routines had disappeared out of the window. And they were feeling pretty scared, actually, because nothing like this had ever happened. And they were seeing their families being scared and their parents, who usually are the font of all knowledge, at least until you get to be a teenager, um, couldn't answer questions. So one of the very first things we did was um, address that. And we went to our um, brilliant um, F sorry, Fresh Start Media, who creates our weekly news show and said we need a, an explainer about what coronavirus is and um, that is going to want, ask, answer some of those questions. And they turned that around for us within um, 10 days. So a little tiny clip of that is the clip that I would like to show now. Thank you. 10, 9. New Year's Eve, just a few months ago. And many of the world's 7.8 billion people celebrate the arrival of the new decade. Hard to believe now that hardly any of them had heard of a new virus, which had just started to infect people in China as 2020 dawned. But three months on, this weird-looking bug has almost brought the entire world to a standstill. In this special edition of FYI, we'll be investigating how things have changed so quickly. And we'll be hearing from children who've been affected all around the globe. We'll be discovering what you and your family can do to stay healthy. And asking when things will get back to normal. And I'll be reporting from New York City, one of the most exciting cities in the world, now under lockdown. And I'm going to be asking some of your coronavirus questions to one of the government's top advisors. So how serious is it for kids? Even if you get it, you are almost never very ill with it. I love that, Lucy. Well, it was very much the, the, the first and initial response, which is always to look after our audience and really support them. And they've, as part of that initial response, we were also supporting families who were suddenly in this um, situation of having to homeschool children and see them through home learning through schools. So as we always do at Sky, we have so many fantastic partners and we really pulled those together so that we could present a learning from home collection, which included fantastic educational content from BBC Bite Size, from all of our paid partners. I know Louise Bucknell is on this call as well. And we managed to pull together a fantastic collection with the collaboration of all of those partners. 
and create a, a banded system of educational content that covered the foundation and early years, Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2. And we had that up by the 25th March. So it was an incredible collaboration from everyone here at Sky, but also all the partners that we work with routinely. How, how, how is that even possible in that period of time? It's Well, being nimble is something that I think the kids' industry always is. Yep. <laughs> we always find a way somehow. And, you know, that first initial response was very much collating what we already had and what our partners had and presenting it to families and to kids in a way that made it easy for them to understand. As we moved through that initial response, then, of course, we're into the planning and looking at our um, laydowns and thinking, right, what can move? What can we do differently? And we did a lot of that. That was a sort of short to medium term where we looked at the productions that we had um, up and running. And of course, there were some things that just couldn't happen like drama, but there were other things that we just did differently. And that's what the kids industry is so fantastically good at. If you throw a problem to a kids producer, they will find a way. And in fact, I think the news show, I mean, you saw there on that coronavirus explainer, we actually went to a system where we videoed children at home or they self-recorded and then sent it in and we um, edited it all in a very COVID safe way. And it actually expanded our news show. It meant we could hear from more kids. It meant that we could include more geographical and international uh, kids. Um, and that's something that we're going to continue doing. So what, we did initially because we had to. We're going to continue doing because it's made a better show. Was that unexpected, Lucy? I mean, you know, we've all, we've all been through a journey, haven't we, over the last 18 months? But, you know, uh, necessity is often the mother of invention, isn't it? It is. So, And I think that you know, the idea of being able to make the world a little bit smaller and um, kids are incredibly used to watching YouTube and they're incredibly used to video calling. So actually presenting news and current affairs in that way didn't seem a stretch to them whereas before we may have thought oh we need a studio and we need the news desk and we need this that and the other kids don't think the same way so it has yes a lot of this has been a learning um and a lot of it has been following a trend that was developing anyway and i know you as a as a as a program maker and a producer and an executive but always put children you know front and center of, of everything you do and you've started to touch on how the relationship between you and your audience has changed in what, what you've just said. But I wonder if you could just sort of develop that a little bit for me. You know, how, how did the relationship between what you make and what you do within Sky change with your audience? I think that changed over the year, really. There was an initial, everyone's at home getting used to homeschooling and so being able to supply uh, the content that would really and support families do that and then of course there was also a real need for co-viewing that became a really huge trend in 21 oh sorry in 20 uh, that has sustained where families were thrown together and were finding things you know they needed lots of comedy for example because and nostalgic feel good movies so I think when you're in the business of listening to an audience and giving them what they want. That's something that's 24-7. You don't just do it once a year where you plan your year out. You're doing it constantly. 
And we are constantly talking to customers, talking to kids. So it was very clear what we needed to do to be able to give them what they needed at that at each particular time, even though it meant that we were working on much tighter turnarounds than we normally would. Uh, and I can't imagine just how many hours you were spending working. To sort of just, just that forward a little bit, to what extent do you think that you took more of a public service role during this period? And, and you know, that, that definition of public service is terribly amorphous, isn't it? So I'm, I'm happy to hear whatever. But it is. And I, which, I, I, I do take issue with the sort of delineation of public service and yeah. um, broadcasters and yeah. commercial broadcasters because I think we're all in the business of talking to kids, talking to their families and um, understanding what your audience needs and giving them the, and wants and giving them that, the shows and the news and all of those things. You know, we also do a lot of games and we made a lot of games last year. All of that, you may want to categorise it as public service, but it's not, it's, it's audience service and that's what our business is. We listen to our audience and we give them the shows that they want so would you say sort of you know 21st century public services audience service in reality is that i think so yes yes we we make um a lot of news a lot of current affairs a lot of documentaries a lot of natural history all of that could be categorized as public service but actually is you know we make it because it's fulfilling a need and And, and the same goes for a lot of those paid partner channels that we have we were able to pull together a learning from home collection really easily because a show like blaze might look like an animated show about vehicles but it's got a really heavy stem base to it and yes you know program makers who make shows for kids put that in there and it may not be sort of labeled and categorized as education but it's there and it's strong Fantastic. Now, Lucy, I know um, we, we need to let you go very soon because you've got uh, a very important appointment elsewhere. So I just want to say massive thank you. Thank you for taking the time because I know you've managed to fit us in. So thank you ever so much. And um, have a lovely afternoon. And with that, I think we will now move to uh, speak with Louise. Bye-bye, Lucy. Take care. Have a good afternoon. Hello, Louise. Hi, uh, you okay? <laughs> I do feel like I'm on a game show now. Oh, no, no. So um, thank you for coming. We've got some lovely things to talk about, about all the wonderful things that, that, that you did over the last 18 months. How would you like to progress? Would you like to start with your, your lovely yeah, channel? Sure, yeah. So I think there's three things that I'm going to cover. So firstly, um, I'll talk about Milkshake and the impact that we had on our studio, um, then the impact on our uh, content pipeline, and then how we changed to the audience um, consumption needs. So first of all, when we heard about lockdown, we, we just didn't know how long it was going to last and how it would impact production. Um, so we've all done the emergency scenario planning, and I don't think anyone realised how long this was going to take. So we were briefed to cover four to six weeks. So we had uh, pre-recorded links to cover the studio. Um, we looked at the delivery pipeline, how wrong we were. Um, we realised that we needed to change this for a longer period, an indefinite period. So we've got nine milkshake presenters in the studio. So we had to get them set up at home to film at home. So we shipped out cameras for all the presenters. We gave them a crash course on how to do um, filming at home. We had to set design their homes. I've never seen bunting hung so differently between nine very creative presenters. Um, And we broadcast those links. um, And we got that feedback from the audience that they really felt that we were with them all the way. They, You know, we were still there for them. So filming at home became the norm for us. So 
want to show you a clip first of all, which is I think sums up perfectly. We made this just at the begin at the end of um, the first lockdown in the summer of 2020. And as we neared the end of that, we realised um, that representing the audience and understanding how they felt was really important. And this song, uh, this is a music video called Best Friends in the World, where we knew kids had been at home making rainbows, going for walks, doing crafts, dancing, singing. So we wanted to make this video to really celebrate them. And it's in a sort of Zoom style. So if we can see um, that video, first of all. Let's do that. That that was um, quite emotional in many ways, and, and you touched it before we started that. And you you aren't you, you mentioned zeroing on how the audience felt. You know, yeah. Where did that? How did you identify that? Just explain explain that a little bit. Well, I, I think we were all experiencing that ourselves, and I think particularly for you know sort of those in the kids industry, we do so much audience research, and we look at how um, you know insight into kids and what makes them tick, and I think. That was something we felt really strongly about. We, Milkshake is very much about connecting with the audience. Um, and, you know, we'd had that feedback about how it was great that we were still there as part of their routine and that things hadn't changed, even though the world around them had changed. So that was, that was something that was really important to us. And I think then the next thing that we looked at was our content pipeline. Um, obviously, a lot of our content is animation. And companies switched to, you know, be able to work remotely. They had to reduce, um, adjust their budgets to do that. The biggest challenge for us there was um, the voice recording with kids because you couldn't get them into the studio, so you had to do that remotely over Zoom. So we we found that that took a bit longer for a series like Paw Patrol and a new series that we had as co-production Sky called Kevin Posey. Um, for live action, completely different story. Obviously, safety with kids was really important. We had to shut down, obviously, productions that we were in the middle of. Um, and um, obviously when we came back to filming, um, we had serious delays. So we've got a drama, Mimi's World, that's only just filming in Belfast now with cohorts of kids under you know, strict regulations. And that was delayed for almost a year and a half. And we had another series with Nick called Goldie's Oldies that kept having to shut down because everyone kept getting COVID. Um, and I think a particular piece with the production industry was insurance. It was really difficult. Um, and we were sort of waiting for the government to confirm sort of restart schemes. Um, and so that was quite an impact to sort of like production starting. But that's, it wasn't all bad because we were able to film some series. We had um, a show called Go Green with the Grimwigs, which is all one family. So they were in a bubble and we filmed them at home, um, a sort of environmental show. And then also another show called The World According to Grandpa, um, which uh, was filmed in Manchester. And this had multiple kids on set. Actually, what we really saw was that was one of the first productions to continue on filming. And they almost put a blueprint together about their studio procedure and how they would film with kids. So, for example, when you've got an eight-year-old going into a studio with everyone in masks, they really thought about how to make that comfortable for um, kids. And so the level of collaboration and sharing, I think Lucy touched on this, between sort of broadcasting productions, people felt like they really came together to really help each other to sort of produce their content. Um, and then we've got another... Um, um, uh, production that we has just started on air and we had to change the editorial of this this was another impact of of sort of the the pipeline we were meant to be filming with a different child per episode with a presenter showcasing their passions and their hobbies 
we can do that. So we had to change it completely. Um, so we looked at how we would do a studio and split screen. So we've got a clip of um, Meet the Experts. And this is all about Harmony, who's an amazing gymnast. But you can just see that even with the split screen, and this is something that obviously kids got quite used to, there was still that connection and close conversation. So if we can see that clip as well. Hi, Harmony. Hi, Sam. I've been so excited to meet you because I hear that you're an expert in gymnastics. Can you tell us more? Sure. Come on. Hi Sam, this is the gym. I come to it every week to practice. Come and see. This is a forward roll. This is a backwards roll. I've seen that clip a number of times and I'm feeling a bit, I'm welling up a little bit watching that. What an amazing little girl. It's incredible. And we showcase um, 24 different kids in this series and they got a treat or a challenge at the end and she got a, a, a treat to meet her absolute idol gymnast. And I tell you, watch the episode. It's on my five. Not just, you know, please do just from the fact that yeah. it's just, it's, it makes you cry every time we were there. So it's a <laughs> Right. Another question. I was going to ask you a question yeah. about production and you talked about, you know, you were throwing a thousand challenges all at once, literally. Bang, 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 bang. You know, explosions going off everywhere. Has has that journey made your production processes better, stronger, tighter, faster? What's been the outcome? It has. And I think it's sort of like um it's sort of like we look at sort of how we can do um content a different way. So for example, obviously, as we've talked about, sort of like the audience patterns changed everything. Um, and we had to think about how we could make that content. So, for example, um, there was, um, we, we had to sort of film content at home. So there were series that we just couldn't continue with. For example, a, um, a Nick show called um, Side Hustle completely stopped filming. But then we filmed with the talent at home and produced a show called Group Chat where they talked about the highest trends for the week and games and challenges. And also another big show for us, Danger Force, um, we, we made extra episodes where actually it was just based around their home. So that was their set. So that had to sort of develop. We also did a couple of quick commissions as well because we had gaps um, and that was something that we really needed to um, focus on. Um, so we've got, I've got another clip called uh, Bot Box Boogie. And this was something that we made in-house. Um, we also had quick commissions with indie, indies like Daisy Beck um, to, to sort of like um, film and they all had to film under really, really strict COVID regulations. And that was something I think was very challenging um, over the last two years because it added a lot of process. And with Box Foogie, I mean, I've never made a show where everything was done over Zoom. I didn't even go to the studio because I wasn't allowed um, because we had to have like a certain amount of people in the studio. Even the costumes were done remotely. The first time they tried, tried, uh, tried, uh, tried the costumes on was actually when they were doing um, the actual filming. And we had to... Um, film with uh, the presenters two meters apart but what we did is we I think what everyone did was really adapt and change um, sort of how the content looks so this was sort of like a game um, sort of feel to it so if we see Bot Box Boogie and this is um, called Stop Look and Listen so it has a bit of a, a road safety message in it as well if we can see that clip. Stop,
So as you can see, great, great, great fun. And then I think another thing was we we touched on it early, sort of like understanding how the audience um, sort of was feeling and being that conversation part of the day was something that we also wanted to look at. Um, and so for Nick, we had, um, obviously we used influencers to sort of like have those conversations, inspiring them to do things at home. We filmed 50 new stay-at-home shorts and branded those um, off a milkshake and that was something that we did last year and this year all to do with activities like walking in the garden singing dancing sign language but all things that any kids could do at home whether they lived in a flat house had a garden or not we really had to think about it from the kids perspective of, of sort of you know what they what they wanted to do um, and so for the knit campaign kids together um so again this will be the clip we just show last clip i've got we utilise sort of characters and our content as additional sources for parents, but also kid-directed information. Um, and this was through sort of specials and short form. We made a Nick News special on COVID, but also on Black Lives Matter with Alicia Keys. Um, and this is just an example of how we did almost like a public service announcement, but using our characters. And um, so if we can play that. Did you know that just by staying home right now, you can actually be saving people's lives? Yeah! Staying home can help slow the spread of coronavirus and keep hospitals from overcrowding and running out of supplies they need to help people. It can protect people who are more at risk, like grandparents or people who are already sick. Some people have to go out and work right now. Like people who work in hospitals or supermarkets or the post office or delivery services. They have to go out for us. So let's stay home for them. We can do this together. Now, what I was going to ask was what, no, 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 not at all. What was kid-directed information? Because that kind of explained it beautifully. I didn't need to ask the question at all. It was self-explanatory. So, so you know, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Louise. You know, to, to what extent have you taken on more of a public service role as a result of this calamity that's befallen everybody on the planet? Well, I think we've, for Milkshake, we've always understood our obligations from um, a public service, uh, you know, a commercial public service um, broadcaster. All the content we have is based around sort of the Early Years Foundation as um, a base of, you know, making sure that we have that great storytelling through learning, play, discovery. And really, it is about understanding the audience and being connected with them. And I think for us, Nick and Milkshake, we're entertainment brands, we're not the education channel, but we do have strong curriculum roots and also... Um, we've always thought about, you know, the, it's kids first, it's from their point of view. Um, and we, we want to make sure that we, you know, sort of understand kids. And I think one thing that we've seen is immersive and uh, interactive content, but also diverse and inclusive um, content is more important than ever now. Um, and it's the authenticity that you give that content that's really, really important because we have a no diverse, you know, commission policy at Viacom and that is in everything that we do. And so I think another thing for us is that live action is now very much part of Milkshake's DNA. And so we're working with, um, you know, sort of produ producers to do those quick turnaround formats because that's stuff that we can get on there very quickly, but also it is, um, really important to have those kids represented very authentically on screen. And, you know, I, I kind of alluded this to, to the star and I talked about the UK being the best content creators in the world. But of course, you know, you're using international brands there and that kid, kid information. But from what you're, you know, you, ha you seem to have fantastic local autonomy to really reflect the experiences that, that children are having in this country. Is that, is that a fair comment? 
I think it is. I think, you know, we have, I think one thing that we've also seen in lockdown is it's the big powerhouse franchises and brands that really sort of connected to something like SpongeBob or Paw Patrol. You know, they're big international shows, they're, you know, world class. But actually what we do is we try and make it um, connecting with the local audience. Um, and that's something that is is something that we work very hard at. And I think um, if there's anything that we, we've seen is that um, obviously the, the sort of way that you do that through ensuring that you're doing um, content that features kids. So, for example, on Nickelodeon, we're just doing um, some shorts about uh, called Unedited, which is conversations with kids about bullying or um, um, school and just things that really are important to them. And we weave that in with the content. And also, as you saw from the, the Nick clip, we try to make sure that it makes the, the messages make sense to the viewers because obviously we're looking at audience research from the UK and that's and that's our audience and that's who we're trying to, to, to serve. Louise, thank you. Um, that's 15 minutes where I think I've learned more about Viacom than, than I have in, in the last year. Thank you so much and genuinely inspired. And um, wow, you know, i done all of that. I'm not quite sure, but you did. So uh, thank you. So I think now we're going to turn our attention to Helen. Helen Forbes from BBC. Hello, Helen. Hi there, Gary. Now I'm starting to feel a little bit like Annika Rice now. We're just waving to various people around the world. Hello. Um, thank you ever so much for, for joining us this afternoon, Helen. Helen, you um, look after education, have responsibility for, for Newsround within the BBC. You do the most amazing things. You've done amazing things with Bite Size. And, you know, as a dad and as an ex-educator, I, I, you know, I've seen firsthand the stuff that you do. And I'm a great exponent of the BBC. So thank you for just been brilliant with all of that. That's enough of effusing from me. Tell us, tell us how your experience was. What would you like to share with us this afternoon? Well, what I'd like to share is a quick video to set the scene, you know, because it feels like time is a, a very strange thing. And, and in some ways, uh, the start of lockdown, the start of 2020 seems years away. And then other times it seems like yeah. it's only been five minutes. So if I play that video, it'll sort of set the scene of, of where we are and what we did. Perfect. Things are a bit different right now. This and this now look more like this and this. Teaching isn't just a job for him and her, but for her and him too. So we had an idea. Bite size daily. Right, Karen, action. Get a huge ninja. High five to all of you. Work out. How many of each goal type they scored? Look, I didn't want to be a half-blood. Hi, I'm Mabel. Hey guys, it's Liam here. Hey guys, I'm Pixie Lot. Oh, I like that. Oh, that is the school bell. You know what that means? School is out. The actual time machine. Why am I dressed up as a parrot? Hi. Back to the future. Well, that was strange. Liberation, elevation, education. Katie, back of the net. Way! Uh, you did a better job oh, than me. Pretty much every single thing about what a is slow. <laughs> they only actually go to the toilet. <laughs> it was a special day indeed. Positive energy. Oh, sorry. 
So, so that was kind of we. That was sort of a, a sum up at the kind of end of 2020 uh, of you know what what we'd done. Little did we know, uh, you know, all of that we were doing it again in, in January 2021 uh, as schools, uh, you know, closed again. Um, so we we did deliver a, a massive amount of content, uh, you know, over 2,000 lessons online on Bite Size, you know, nearly 300 episodes of educational TV on iPlayer, and then also in that January. Uh, on on uh, CBBC and uh, on BBC Two, um, and you know, going back to 2020, you know, we had five weeks to get everything, you know, to get the show on the road, make all those programs, make all those those lessons, uh, you know, and, and everything that we've done, we've done um, with, with teachers, uh, you know, we didn't, we don't. There's nothing that we use without having teacher consultants on it because we were there. You know, to support what teachers were already doing brilliantly when all their kids had been sent home, something unprecedented, um, you know, um, but we just wanted to be there as a support. And, and while we were gearing up for Bite Science Daily, obviously, as other speakers have said, you know, there was real disruption in, in, in productions in, in children's content, uh, you know, so quite a few productions on the children's side of things, you know, had to, had to pause or had to change shape, uh, you know, and there was real flexibility within the BBC and within the wider indie industry and with, you know, individual production talent uh, to kind of uh, deal with that really difficult time. Uh, but it gave us an opportunity um, for, for some of those people to work with us on Bite Size Daily and that m- sort of mashup of educationalists, digital program makers, you know, digital content makers, and children's program makers, you know, helped us to really, uh, you know, develop a really, really strong concept that was both entertaining and, and, and educational. And we've learned a lot from those sort of partnerships uh, with with children's brands, you know, alongside that big bite size, uh, you know, educational brand that the BBC has. Um- I've got so many questions I want to ask you, but there's one or two coming in from the audience actually. That that um I'm I I think I think build on what you've just said, and um that's what I'm going to come to in a little while. But first, um my friend David Clement, who who is my favourite American, is 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 watching. Um and uh, he he asked about whether or not anything was done or launched or developed which was lacking pre-pandemic needed jury and became so compelling that, that actually, yeah, we're going to have that as a core value moving forward. Absolutely. You know, we, we learned so much because we were sort of doing everything so quickly and trying things out. And, you know, uh, the usual sort of time and speed was completely changed. There was a real kind of call to arms of, of everybody. And we worked so much in partnership. You know, we, we couldn't create all the content we created without working in partnership, you know, both with sort of third sector partners, you know, the Science Museum. Only time they opened during lockdown was to let us in to do some filming uh, alongside, you know, commercial uh, education providers, um, you know, so uh, you know, sort of the White Rose Maths, they helped us with the lessons and it really opened opened our eyes, you know, as the BBC and as BBC Education, that actually working in partnership can deliver so much more for the audience. And, was was you know, that, that some kind of epiphany? What were the, you sound surprised? What you said, well, I think, yeah, I, think I, I think, you know, in, in our other areas, in our campaign areas for, for education, we've done, we've always done that. You know, the, the BBC yeah. microbit being one, always worked in partnership, you know, 
on, on bite size, we've done that less so, uh, you know, uh, but we've really seen that that's, that's been beneficial, you know, mainly for the audience, but also for both sides of the partnership, you know, both for BBC and for the partners that we're working with. And it's just putting it within our DNA. You know, it's not a special thing now that we do now and again. It's something that we do every day. And I think that's been our real learning and you know everybody's generosity of spirit you know things are going back to normal in some ways you know we have our editorial guidelines of the bbc as all places do but we can see where it works really well because we're putting the audience first in that space are you are you the same organization now that you were 18 months ago i'm speaking specifically about education um well i, I think the thing is um you know, the BBC has always championed education. It's not we're doing it now. Oh, we yeah. did it during the pandemic, although obviously the, the audience need was there in spades. And so we, we you know, we stood up and, and came, came, you know, came out, gave our best game to, to deliver some, some, uh, something that would, would support everybody, all our audiences, teachers, parents, and, and, and kids. Um, but I think it's you know it, it's demonstrated that we've got a, a you know a real real value um, uh, to our audience as well as all the brilliant you know uh, programs that we make uh, uh, and, and there's a real piece there um, that that I think we are different because we're working much more in partnership. We're working with other BBC brands much more. You know we we've got permission. Uh, as bite size to go into the classroom you know we're trusted uh, and we do everything with teachers so we're able now to to you to work with other parts of the BBC to bring some of that brilliant NHU content into the classroom uh, and, and things like that so I think it has changed in the way in which we you know we, we're part of that organization so it might be a tricky question I don't mean to be tricky is partnership core to what we might now call public service, because it seems to me, sitting on the outside looking in, admiring everything that you've done, that you've actually, and please take this the right way as an organisation, BBC, you know, you kind kind of found your wings a little bit. You've kind of broken free and kind of doing your own thing. And I mean that in a loving, caring way. Hard, hard, hard to say uh, for, 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 for my position, but to go back to the, the, the piece around partnership, I think. Um, is that part of public service moving forward? I, I, I think it. I think well, it's yeah. it's in the charter, uh, and I think it is. You know, we so we, it absolutely is, and I think it's a key thing to you know work with as many organisations as we can for the benefit of the audience. You know, as long as you kind of make that your your, your north star, then it feels oh, yeah. like a really positive thing. Can I ask you, just going to segue totally away, because John Forrest has asked this question, and it's an interesting one, and put your, put your news round hat on for a minute. How have, have you dealt with, and I don't know because I, I, I haven't seen it, but have you dealt with the anti-vax issue at all on, on the show? So we've, we've um, you know, what we're there for in for news round is to deliver, you know, what our, uh, our audience is expecting. Uh, and it's just really clear, uh, 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 sort of information based on what works for them uh and so I, I don't think that's high up in kids agendas if i'm being honest uh you know what's really high up in in what we want to do in news round is reflect 
the whole of the UK and their whole experience of COVID. You know, uh, you know whether they they've got good broadband and a garden, or whether they're in a flat, uh, or you know, we wanted to make sure we covered everything in a really clear way, uh, and in a way that didn't make children more worried, yeah. but didn't shy away from you know what what was happening. I, I well, personally, I think you did that in spades, and um, certainly from my experience, some children I've spoken to, they're very grateful to. to you and the team and the efforts that you've made. So, Helen, thank you. I think we'll, we'll come back at the end for some more questions, maybe. But um, if we could move to Greg and Maddie now, that would be marvellous. I'll see you in a minute. Hello. Hi. hi. Hello. Look, look, look. See, it's the YouTube people now, isn't it? Look, <laughs> all teeth and happiness. How are you? Very well. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you. So, um, right. So there you was, sort of sat at home, doing nothing, wondering mm. what we're going to do next. And then COVID happens and your world just changes. Tell me what happens. It did. So on day one of lockdown, the two of us launched something called Let's Go Live, which is a daily, which was a daily live family science show that we live streamed on YouTube. Uh, but to show you a little something on it. Should we do that, Neil? Should we show that quickly? Yeah, yeah go for it. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. It's all right. <laughs> Rob VT. Hello everyone, welcome to Let's Go Live, I'm Maddie. I'm Greg and all together now, we are live! We started Let's Go Live exactly one year ago today and here we are, 82 live shows later, mm -hmm. what a journey it has been. <laughs> Go for it, Mads. Back to ocean. It's oh, there it is! Ah! That was How To Make A Poo live on the internet. Enjoyed making our small solar panel. Smalls are in, just need to close up the lid. Now I just need to adjust this flap to make sure we're getting as much sunlight reflected into our oven as possible. Dink. Dink it, sink it. Mmm, that's so good. It's still warm. Mm. I like ocean weed the best. So I made my own ocean. We have to charge at that paper plate hoop that you can see is dangling just off the side of the curtain wall. Go, Sir Greg! Oh, I missed it! Oh. <laughs> I got a floppy lance! Okay, we sort the floppy lance out. Thank you so much. We have loved every second of doing this. We will see you next week, Saturday, <laughs> 10 o'clock. Say the words. Stay curious, stay curious, stay curious. Stay curious. Bye! 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 Bye. My goodness, there we go. Look, if ever you needed cheering up. Um, so you had, obviously, uh, a full uh, OB unit. You had a production team. You had script writers. You had technicians, editorial staff. The whole works, right? Just talk us through that. Yeah, yeah, you're looking at them. Hi. <laughs> so um, we're both... We're both presenters. We've written, um, you know, lots of content before. And fortunately, we had a bunch of... Uh, old DSLRs here and some laptops that were right and a couple of lights. So basically on that first weekend of lockdown, we decided to turn our spare room into a multi-camera live broadcasting studio. Um, and then as you saw, once we, um, well, just um, a bit of research and a lot of plugging in cables and worked out how to do it. And so during the show, it was like live vision mixing, um, live chat coming in. Uh, we had graphics and music and branding and all of, we, I was kind of firing all that off from my side. We both had notes. Yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah. 
And did you, did, so did you teach yourself how to use this equipment? Did you know how to use all the cool stuff or did you have to learn and do it all? How did it work? Yeah, well, we already had uh, some knowledge when it came to cameras simply because we've been making YouTube videos for a while anyway. So like Greg mentioned, we had some simple equipment, but there was a piece of software that Greg came across, which actually we're using now for streaming. It's called Ecamm and you just sort of like became pretty efficient with it over the course of that first weekend. So we were ready to start on day one of lockdown. And that was what, that was really important to us because we recognized the need for homeschooling material. And we realized pretty early on that we would need to be consistent. It was important that we were daily Monday to Friday and that we could be reliable for families. And that worked really, really well for us. And then it really just, it just took off. People yeah. shared that we were doing these science lessons and that they were packed full of interactive science activities for the whole family from five to 15. And we grew it around our audience. It became you know, UGC became a massive thing. We were getting sent hundreds of emails, 500 one weekend of pictures and videos of kids, and we would build them into the show. And each week was a different theme. Um, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. So there's something really interesting here. And I don't know if I'm understanding it correctly, but I think I am. And you've, you've done this sort of, you know, reacted, spun on a penny, pivoted, whatever you want to call it, and made it happen super fast. And you've taken down that fourth wall, actually, haven't you? You've allowed the children right into your home, actually. And it's very, the word authenticity is a very glib word, isn't it? And it can be, 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 be very ill-used. But watching that, that minute or two there, I'm smiling, you know, and I'm far too old to enjoy that stuff. There's just an energy and a loveliness and all that sort of thing. So, so how did that relationship with the audience develop? Because that must have fueled your content, I suppose, is where I'm going with that. Yeah. Well, everything we did, like everyone's been saying already on this call, it was audience first. Um, we wanted the audience to feel involved. I think we were all stuck at home and we wanted to encourage the kids to get involved and we wanted families to do things together. So making them part of the show where we could was, you know, it, it encouraged that, but it also created a sense of conversation of community. So we would always in every show give multiple activities or ideas for experiments that kids could do alone or supported with their families. And then again, because of that regularity, they knew that if they got us a photo in via email that evening with the parents' permission, we might then show it the next day. And that really helped to build this sense of community. But also it was live. We would always say hello to everybody. We would keep an eye on the live chat as we would go through. So it really was a genuine conversation. It was all about in-jokes. That was very important as well. But making sure they were they were open for all the thousands of new families that found us each week. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess, yeah, it just kind of grew, didn't it? And yeah. that, that was an art. There's two or three things there, isn't there? I mean, there's so many, I could sit and talk to you all afternoon. There's, there's you keep talking maybe about, about consistency and routine and that sort of thing, which of course, you know, as I, I alluded to at the start, fundamental for children when everything is going horribly wrong and you, you provided that. And then this idea of the in jokes thing, this, this, this dialogue that you had with the audience, I don't think that any other form of content could really have achieved that, could it? I mean, I think there were a few things about what we were doing that were different. In a way, it was kind of a throwback to the old Saturday morning kids telly fun, um, yeah. really with education ran through it. Yeah. Um, education and learning was was number one, but it was always done in a fun way, you know, which lots of 
uh, others have been have been talking about. But yeah, we we uh, you know we were then out and about during summer doing doing things uh, on the walls of a medieval castle, as you saw, or in a forest. But it was still with the audience; they were with us. It was still live chat. It was still activities. It was still featuring them. But also, we I think there was I think the audience understood that they could talk to us on multiple platforms as well. So they knew that we would be on YouTube every day at 11 a.m. Monday to Friday. But then as soon as we would come off the show, we would immediately get onto social media where we were able to interact with the parents. And I think it very much felt like there were some platforms where we were able to talk to the parents and sort of build a conversation with them. And then the show was very much just for, well, it was aimed at the kids specifically. So I think the fact it was happening in multiple places also really helped um, and we were so honest as well we were yeah. from the start we were honest like this is you know behind the scenes stuff on instagram etc you know this is how we've set up the spare room studio <laughs> this is yeah. we're now in the kitchen doing a laser maze you know well, what impact do you think that has on, on the children because that's what they all want to see isn't it whenever i've been in the studio with the kids it's kind of wide eyes when they see the camera and that's when magic happens was there that kind of oh my god they're really seeing how it all works was there lots of excitement from them yeah, absolutely. The, the the kids absolutely loved it when we would put in sound effects or when we would add little videos or when we might sort of like pop up little pictures here and there. And part of the reason they enjoyed it because they could see Greg pushing the buttons. They knew that we were controlling absolutely everything. So again, it became part of it just became part of the of the language of the show, I suppose. Okay, so so to sort of just get a little bit more serious for a moment. Um, so you're on YouTube doing your thing, and I don't want to go into one about made for kids and revenue models and blah 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 because that's perhaps a conversation for another time. But I'll, I'll hazard a guess that you've not become millionaires overnight because your stuff would be made for kids, right? Yes, correct. Yes, right. Okay, fine. Uh, so so so. You know, you've done this, and again, I don't mean to be too effusive, but perhaps that's the mood I'm in today. You've done this of your own free volition. It's probably cost you a few quid to do it. Um, and you're providing a public service as well, aren't you? If, if you're going to define public service as being something that's not universally available and yep. free and for the public that's exactly what we were doing um it was available on youtube for free yes we were marking it as made for kids which meant that there there can no longer be any comments on it after the live stream but apart from that i'd say i'd say it's pretty public service yeah i would say so too sorry greg not to, you know, we, we said we wouldn't go into this, but, you know, we had 3 million plays of our 83 live shows and we had, you know, some episodes about 200,000 plus plays and each one of them is a family. And um, no, that would only, you know, gross you a few quid. <laughs> and so we set up a Patreon, which again, built our community and, um, you know, that people who decided to support us at whatever level they wanted with no additional perks. You know, and we were there talking openly with them there as well. But if you wanted to just watch it, it was there for free if you wanted to come join us. Do you think that this could have happened without COVID? Notwithstanding, obviously, the fact the kids aren't going to be there 11 o'clock every, every school day because they'd be in school. But could something like this have happened for you if this terrible calamity hadn't come along? Um, no. <laughs> Partly because I think what made it possible was the fact that we were at home and we weren't able to leave the house. It created um, a bubble for us, which we weren't leaving. Um, and But it also did, you know, probably in an unhealthy way, we were getting up at silly o'clock in the morning to rehearse the live show, doing the live show. And then the entirety of the rest of the day and evening was spent prepping 
the next show. Yeah, sometimes shooting BTs, editing them, doing BO. That that was only possible because everything else stopped. Yeah. We could start it up again, but I think for um sanity, if we were to start it up again, we would do so with 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 a team. Yes. And and so there's a question just popped in. I don't want to go back to 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 anti-vax particularly, but but it's kind of aligned with that. You know, what you're there's this, there's this double-edged sword, isn't there, with, with YouTube, with my own kids, you know, they'll come and tell me stuff. I'm like, what? How, where did you read that? Well, I didn't. I saw it on YouTube. How do you know it's real? Well, I source-checked it. Okay. You know, to what degree, you know, can, can YouTube as a platform be trusted to convey sort of, you know, information and things that, 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 that you are doing on a day-to-day basis? Because I trust you. You're implicitly happy, smiley, trustworthy people. But not everybody should be trusted. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different content on YouTube. Um, we, I guess, it's down to the uh, partly the aut- authenticity. You know, again, we were very open. Um, I'm a scientist by training, was both science educators, and uh, so that was a big part of our prep. On the vaccination side, we actually decided that we would do um, a couple of special episodes all about vaccination, and we kind of explained what a vaccine yeah. was, and and you know, we did it in our own way. You know, it was. Um, it was me dressed up as uh, Virus Gregorius running around the house looking like a giant virus and Maddie as a white blood cell and, you know, all sorts of fun and games. But, you know, the feedback from lots and lots of families was, oh, my goodness, we now get it. And, you know, thank you for kind of taking us through it. I think as well, we're, we're both we're both very, very careful, even with those particular episodes about vaccines. We started out with... Um, why do we get ill? So we started with the very basics and then the second episode was what is a vaccine and how can it help? We were careful not to offer opinions, but only to give facts that were based in scientific evidence. And it wasn't just the two of us either. We made sure that experts, diverse experts were featuring on the show. Throughout the whole two seasons, three seasons. Yeah. So it was it was completely based in fact and we steered away from opinion for those. So that's sort of self-moderation there to make sure that you were behaving as scientists, actually, and being evidence-based and nothing else. That was just, yeah, okay. Brilliant. Look, I, I, I've loved watching your bits and pieces, particularly yesterday as I was getting my head around who and what you, you, you have achieved. So congratulations on all that you've achieved because it really is phenomenal and uh, you should be applauded greatly for, for that. So I think we're nearly out of time. Unless there are any other questions from anybody coming straight from the audience, I'm going to pose one or two. Does anybody else want to pose a question? They never do, do they? They sit at the back and just sort of... <laughs> um, Louise, can I ask you a question? If, if producers want to, want to pitch to you now, you know, what new thinking needs to be incorporated to reflect the changes that our young people have experienced and, you know, to be appropriate to, to use that, that, that hackneyed term building back better. I can't believe I said that, but how, you know, what do they need to be thinking about when they pitch to you moving forward? I think obviously it depends on the, the age content of whether it's preschool or older, but I think um, if it's, if it's sort of live action and it has a particular theme, um, again, we want to make sure that it's reflective of, um, the kids thinking and, and also sort of, um, what they're, what they're thinking and feeling and how they, how they understand the world, particularly for preschoolers. So that, that's really important. Um, I think, uh, sort of also sort of comedy is really important to us, um, at the Nick Network, particularly, um, in both animation and, um, our live action. So that's something that we do really need to, to sort of like, we need to see. 
I think to go in sort of like what Maddie and Greg were talking about is is obviously making sure that you've got that authenticity. You you have the 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 sort of background of what you're doing because kids see through that. They they really do sort of know um, you know when they're being uh, sort of like you know um, pitch something that isn't isn't authentic. And I think the immersive and interactive content, and as I mentioned earlier, sort of the inclusive content is really important for us. The you know sort of putting the audience first. We're always at Nickelodeon about kids first the kids point of view and also from a milkshake point of view we want to make sure that we're always aligning and connecting with kids on their level at their development um stage as well so i think that's something that we would always ask to go back and look at you know get an educational consultant to kind of go through sort of how you're speaking what language you're using um in your scripts or how you're pitching that to the audience as well and i think that's something that we've we certainly we knew all this before but i think lockdown and also the way that content has been consumed by kids over the last two years has really cemented that with, with everything that we're doing we're sort of very much um you know sort of like wanting to reflect kids and that's you know always been the goal but it's really cemented that for us brilliant thank you and, and helen i wonder if i'll ask you one last question when we think about you know what what what's, what, what what are you looking for we, we talk about partnerships you know, what, what, what's changed in the last 18 months when you're looking at what you might, I know education doesn't commission a huge amount, perhaps more and more than, than it was previously. What sort of things are you looking for now that perhaps you weren't before? I think we're very interested in, uh, you know, the mental health space. Uh, you know, all, all schools are very interested in, in well-being and making sure, you know, that, that you're looking at both the academic side of school, but also well-being and and, and mental health um you know we 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 don't uh we we do commission we commission on, on a yearly basis uh, and if anybody is interested in in getting onto our uh, commissioning days you know please do email me at the bbc and we'll get you on that list and you can come and see what we we have in commissions um as as we we start uh, the next next financial year um i think always what we want to deliver is uh you know Good educational content with clear learning outcomes, uh, you know, um, and I think that's a mixture of things. You know, some of it's video, some of it's interactive. You know, you need a whole range to, to, to you know, uh, learn cognitively. So it's a whole range of mediums that we're always looking for. Um, uh, and, you know, and, and anything that kind of is... It, it kind of inspire in the classroom, you know, because yeah. teachers teachers have got, you know, and help teachers because teachers have got a, a a tough job. And I think anybody who has homeschooled uh, over the, the two lockdowns will have a, a renewed respect uh, for the skill of teachers and what they do uh, for our children. So I think that's a, mm-hmm. a key thing that we want to have in, in all of our content. Mm. I think we have to stop there because we're one minute over time. Maddie and Greg, thank you so much. Um, you know, in- incredible and exciting and engaging. Um, and Louise, uh, as ever, thank you. Lovely stuff. Helen, um, yeah, I remain a complete advocate of everything that you do there. It's just just wonderful. So this is all a bit of a loving, isn't it? But it's great. Well done. Fantastic. Thank you, everybody, for, for joining us. Thank you for the questions. Thank you very much to Royal Television Society London and to Children Media Foundation uh, for having us. Take care. Have a lovely afternoon and no more COVID. Goodbye. The RTS London Podcast.